Hey there. The holidays are here, so it's good to know Fred Meyer can save you some time with free pickup on all your fresh favorites. Whether your traditions call for a hearty helping of juicy ham, ample apple pie, or Aunt Sue's legendary twice-stuffed stuffing, Fred Meyer has got you covered. So order for free pickup at fredmeyer.com or the app and get more time to get your holiday on when you grab your groceries curbside. Fred Meyer, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Welcome to the Everyday Mindfulness Show, where we educate and inspire people to live fuller lives through mindful practices. Let's get started with your host, New York Times contributor, leadership advisor, sought-after keynote speaker, the author of the Amazon hot new release, Everyday Mindfulness from Chaos to Calm in a Crazy World. She's smart, strong, sassy, and a trendsetter in the field of mindful leadership. Your host, Holly Duckworth. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Everyday Mindfulness Show. We have a fantastic guest on the show today. One that I would call a colleague in mindfulness at work, my friend, Jeanette Brane. We're just going to kind of have a free-form conversation today about what is mindfulness, the work that we do together, the, where we differ as colleagues, and how you can do better self-care to be better in your workplace. Welcome to the show, Jeanette so much. I'm excited to have this conversation with you. I love the work you do and it's always exciting to chat and go deeper into something like this together. Well, you know, that's one of the things that makes mindfulness amazing and sometimes a challenge for people, which is this whole definition of what is mindfulness. And I like to start every show with that conversation. For you, what does mindfulness mean? To me, mindfulness is about paying attention, but it's also about being engaged. So I think a lot of times we think of mindfulness as being, being a way to relax and being a way to talk about it as being engaged in what it is that we're doing every single day, um, paying better attention and really focusing on what it is that we need so that we can do the things we need to do, want to do. So for you, does mindfulness attach to um, ancient wisdom, spiritual practice, or is that not a thing for you? It is a thing for me because that's how I started it. I started studying uh, meditation. I started studying mindfulness uh, back in the 90s, actually, as a way to find myself, to know myself better, to understand my choices, um, and yes, to find sort of a sense of uh, awareness and a peace of mind, but it was really a search for myself that started the whole, the whole, uh, the whole studying of it. I studied Buddhism. I started Zen Buddhism. I studied all kinds of different things because for me, it was a discovery of me as a human being. And that was what initiated all of it. And I think it still is because I think it's this inner question that we bring with us ask that question every day so that we really are on purpose and that we really are in alignment with what it is we're trying to achieve. So we are having um, some audio challenges here. Why don't we go ahead and stop video and we'll just chat. Sure. That sounds good. So one of the, the phrases you used there was the idea of 
the search inside yourself. And one of the books that I use a lot with my clients is the book from Google, uh, The Search Inside Yourself and The Search Inside Yourself Institute. Do you use that at all? Are you familiar with that work? I'm very familiar with it, yes, but I don't directly use it as, um, as, a, as a book that I use and, and share with clients. But the, it is the idea that we are looking inside rather than outside ourselves for the answers is very much part of my work, yes. Well, I think it's fun because I get a lot of pushback from people. Well, I'm a doctor, I'm a lawyer, I'm super serious, I can't, I can't be mindful at work. And yet that book is so great because it has cartoons and characters and of course was written for engineers. And I think that's why I'm so excited about doing this work right now because I think there's a tipping point going on in the world where uh, we've become almost so serious that we're, we're literally, it's unsustainable, we're killing ourselves. And yet mindfulness can be a tool that allows us to reduce stress, increase focus, and provide better for ourselves, for our families, and for our workplaces. Yes, I, I, I so agree with that. I think it's an important piece that you're bringing up because I think that a lot of times um, what I see is that we become distracted and unfocused. And, and that's part of when I talk about self-care. I don't necessarily talk about it as um, self sort of self-care as a, as a way of pampering ourselves. I think of it as a self-commitment, self-awareness, self-responsibility, and self-expression. So it's a lot more related to what we do when we are mindful about um, where our thoughts go <laughs> ourselves so that we can um, access our tools and, and our our humanity as a tool for being better at work, being better leaders, and so on and so forth. And so I think this whole idea of stress has a lot to do with whether we can become mindful about where our attention and our focus is at. Um, and I also think of it as if we don't take care of our human body, essentially we don't have access to all these amazing resources that we are as human beings. And that's where mindfulness is the bridge to really realize what it is that's happening to us when we sort of negate ourselves and our human needs at work. So you are so gracious about the way you submitted that. And I want to make sure that our listeners are, are hearing that, that, you know, you're about care, but care is also an acronym. So let's, let's repeat, what's the C, the A, the R, and the E so that they can really connect to that. Because I think words are powerful. And when we make a word an acronym, it gives us a, a barrier as a, to remember the new definition of that particular word. Yes. So the C stands for commitment, self-commitment. It has to do with some of the structures we put in place, some of the routines that we put in place to actually have this commitment to care on a daily basis. What does that is the self-awareness so that we actually pause for a moment and check in and just be like, wait a minute, how do I feel right now? And what do I need so that I can whatever that is. And that's self-awareness and just that moment of pausing and go inside and ask that inner question. That is, that is um, an essential part of self-care. The next is self-responsibility. And that is, what do we have in terms of choices? And are we making responsible choices? Because sometimes we make a choice based on convenience. We make a choice based on, um, well, I'm stressed right now, so I can come later. Is, is that that 
responsible necessarily to ourselves for that matter, but also actually to work. Because if I didn't take care of myself, there's no way that I could be fully present, fully engaged and um, think the way I need to think at work because I would be distracted by, for example, hunger, thirst, poor sleep, and so on and so forth. So that self-responsibility is that we are actually making the choices that support us by taking care of our human body and what our essential basic needs are just to show up. And then self-expression, which is the E in care, is the self-expression is that we stand by us, that we have healthy boundaries that we actually look at and say, wait a minute, this doesn't work for me or this does work for me. Or when we commit to something that we're like, well, if we do it this way, then I can feel more whole behind it, committed to it, whatever that means. But I think a lot of times we don't speak up, we don't stand for ourselves, and we end up not only burning out, but we might also waste a lot of time sort of beating ourselves up for saying yes to something we feel we shouldn't have said yes to. Or it could be that we don't think our needs are getting met. But the reality is that for us to get our needs met, we need to ask for what we need. That doesn't mean of it for us, but it does mean that we're the ones that are responsible for getting our needs met. And that's part of self-expression. It's also how we create more balance in the workplace. Because when I look at self-care for the individual, I also look at what that means as a culture of care for the company. So in that sense, it stands for care as community, um, acknowledgement, respect, and empathy. So when it's self-care superimposed on the company, it actually creates a level of how do we engage with each other? What kind of relationships do we have with each other? How do we, um, by taking care of our leadership? So I actually believe that self-care is the foundation for a culture of care at work. So sorry, that was a long explanation, but I hope it makes sense. <laughs> No, it, it's a it's a beautiful ex expression, and I, I want to invite people to visit your website, JeanetteBronet.com, J-E-A-N-E-T-T-E-B-R-O-N-E-E.com, because I think you do a really beautiful job on your site capturing these personal experiences as well as the cultural experiences there. Uh, the last concept you shared is one that I'm excited to see emerging in the workplace and I'm curious how you're experiencing it which is that word empathy I I know one of my concerns in the workplace is you know we're all kind of turning into robots and one of the things that I think will become a defining factor for leadership and the workplaces that are most successful going forward is this idea of empathy and, and humanness. So I'm curious, what are you experiencing there? And maybe how can our listeners grow their sense of, of empathy to become one of those future leaders? Sure. Um, when I look at the empathetic piece, it's about learning to listen better. It's about actually paying attention to what's right in front of us rather than having assumptions about what somebody needs or wants. It's about asking better questions so that we actually um, come through um, based on our interaction with each other rather than just doing what we always done, assuming that it works, but actually listening better to each other and being like, what do you need so that you can do what it is you need to do. It's also how I think we create more balance in the workplace in the, in the sense of diversity and inclusion, in the, in the sense that if we have more of that empathy and actually ask better questions of each other and of ourselves, then we 
look at how all our human needs are included at work, which essentially is what we need so that we can face this challenge that we have in the future of being competitive, being on the edge of innovation, instead of being on the edge doing what we've always done, which is the robotic way of responding under stress. Jeanette, your audio is a little bit coming through, a little broken there. Can you say that one more time? You said, instead of being on the edge of innovation, we need to be on the edge of... Yes, instead of being on the edge of um, innovation, we end up being on the edge of exhaustion and burnout if we don't actually take more time to pause, listen, ask better questions of each other and of ourselves. We just keep going on this robotic version of stress mode and survival mode, which is essentially what's happening when we're just trying to keep up instead of pausing for that moment and just actually notice what it is that we need or ask each other better questions ask ourselves better questions from an empathetic place of being curious and, and um, including the human, the human needs in our moving forward and in our, in our solutions. I think this is an interesting thing I'm beginning to see and experience even more and more is we've got a weird cultural thing happening and, and for purposes of this conversation, I, I'm gonna speak to it from my North American USA perspective is we've taught ourselves and our children through our um, education system, teachers ask questions, you have the answers. We're, we're taught, have the answer, have the answer, have the answer, have the answer. And, and yet when we complete our, our formal schooling, the world flips. And it's about having better questions. And so I'm excited to hear you say, you know, asking better questions is powerful. I hope that our schools and our, and our paradigm shift as a society can shift to reward those questions more. And that concept that in mindfulness, as I teach it, it's the question for yourself and that question dynamic between you and another person. Because if I'm not willing to ask myself better questions, I'm not willing to ask better questions in the world. So that's where I think a mindfulness practice doesn't have to be about meditation or time on a yoga mat, but just simply time to reflect and ask yourself, what am I loving about this experience? What am I not loving about this experience? How do I feel? So if uh, a listener was starting to explore this idea of asking better questions, what tips, ideas, thoughts did you have as you experienced the need for this in the world? Yes, thank you for that, because I think you're, you're really pointing to something that's so essential. And, and, and when I talk about um, taking better care of ourselves, what we need first is the foundational needs, which is just basically water, food, and sleep. Because if we're running on survival mode, we're not even going to stop and ask questions, because we're just looking for what's not working. And we're not actually pausing and, and looking at, oh, wait a minute, what is another way to do this? And asking those questions that help somebody find their way rather than telling them what to do. And I think a lot of leaders today are, and, and people in general, we're under so much pressure that we just go by what's safe and what we've always done, but that's also how we get stuck. And so the importance of asking better questions and allowing somebody to find their answer is really what helps us um, find solutions that could potentially move the needle and, and, and for that matter to make us better leaders rather than just managers. It's an exciting time of, of change in the workplace when we're willing to, on some level, admit that we don't know. And I believe co-create it with the collective intelligence 
in any given team for sure. Yes. And, and again, it's, it's the old, as you also pointed to, the old paradigm of we're supposed to know instead of saying, what if I don't know? Like, what is another solution that I can have? The, the reality is that that's how we evolved. We didn't know. So we tried to look for a solution. And if we could actually allow ourselves of wondering what is another way to do it, I think we also be much more happy at work instead of just feeling that we are exactly those robots that just do what we've always done because it's what we do and it's safe. It's predictable. Absolutely. Yeah. And our relationship suffers too, as you pointed to as well, right? It is, is this that sense of assuming something about each other rather than actually being curious about each other. I think curiosity is something we need to learn to bring with us into everything we do. And I think that's where mindfulness again comes into the picture is it like, how can we be more curious? So how are you being more curious in your own work? I keep asking myself, um, well, one question I ask myself every single day is how can I help today? So I keep looking for systems and patterns and expression of what is something that is not working as in what needs to be moved forward? Where, where are things stuck? Both, both in my own pattern, but also... Um, what I see in the world when I talk to people and I wonder about when, when I speak to people, I ask them what they're doing and how they're doing. And it tends to be a rendition of what we've been up to, which is all fine. But when I ask somebody what they need so that they can move forward, most people can't answer that question. It's not something we wonder about every single day. And, and that's what I think we could do. I think we could be more curious about what is something that could be helpful just today. I, I love that. I have a technique I used in, in 2018 almost every day that I would get up in the morning, I would ask myself, what is mine to do today? And then I'd let that intuitive voice with inside me answer it. And I'd write three to five things down. And then I would go on about my day to do those things. And then the two, three, five, whatever I did that day, I, I celebrated whatever I didn't do, I let go. And the next day I'd get another blank piece of paper and every single day. So I never carried over a thing. I always just start, what is mine to do today? And I, and I trusted that if I didn't finish it or if there was more to do, then it would show up again. And if it wasn't mine to do, then it would disappear. And I did that every single day. And it was a fascinating and wonderful practice of growing in my mindfulness, understanding my own intuitive faculties, and be curious in discovery. And, and people say, oh, Holly, that never worked. Well, let's see. That year I wrote two award-winning books. I spoke around the world. I consulted. So sometimes it is exciting to just say, what, what's possible if I let go of the, the way society says I have to do something? And that worked for me. Yeah. And, and, and I love that because what it right, reminds me of is that I always talk about how do we go from if to how, right? Instead of wondering if this is right, wrong, should I do this, should I do that? When instead going, what do I really want to do? What do I really want to achieve? Which is part of what I talk about when I say what, uh, that we need to ask the right why. Instead of asking, why is this not working? We need to ask, why do I really want to do this? Why does it matter? And how can I focus on getting it done? What do I need so that I can? And it's, it's a simple little practice, but it works so well in terms of propelling us and moving us forward in solution and, and 
self-discipline kind of way without it being pushing and just overcoming ourselves. It's really more from, from an inside out kind of way of moving forward. And I love that you have that practice. It's beautiful. Well, and, and that's, that's a fun way to kind of wrap up the show too, is um, we get to remind people that mindfulness is not a practice. It's not a perfect, it's a practice. Yes. So tell us a little bit about your, your practice. What do you do um, beyond this question? How can I help um, that might not be just a meditation or, or a got to do it on the yoga mat thing, but real life in the workplace? What's something that you invite your people to do as a mindfulness practice every day? I invite people to do a simple check-in on your body. It takes a few seconds to just pause and breathe and go, what do I feel like in there? What is, what is going on for me? What, what does my body feel like? Um, sometimes it is that we're tired. Sometimes it is that we need a break. Sometimes it is that we have um, a sense of anxiety and just keep asking in a question of, okay, so what does that need so that I can feel a little bit better right now. So I think it's something we can do on the go. It's a place where we're actually paying attention to ourselves. And as I said before, it sort of feeds into how we pay attention to. Um, and, and I think the simple um, inner question is a really nice anywhere mindfulness practice that doesn't take very long. Um, personally, I like to walk as well when I need to work through something. I let my body move when I work through it rather than trying to sort of just force myself to come up with an answer. I let the answer appear by letting go of wanting the answer and just keep asking the question. And walking is for me a way to let these things come up for me. Like movement really helps for that. And it could be just a five minute walk. And then all of a sudden the answer or the idea or the solution pops up in my head. And I think those are ways that we can, that we can use it in a engaged and active way every day. Um, but I do also sit and I do yoga. I do those things as well. It's part of my, my self-care uh, home practice. But if I talk about self-care at work, um, it's a lot more engaged than active, like the way I mentioned it. I, I call that mindful movement. Know when you need to move and know when you need to sit. I completely, <laughs> completely resonate with that. <laughs> exactly. Well, it has been such a joy to have you on the show. How can our listeners connect to you and get more about the work that you're out there doing in the world? Um, they can connect with me on my website, jeanettepone.com. I'm on all the social media under that name as well. But I also have a blog where there is resources and articles and things like that, which is pathforlife.com, P-A-T-H-F-O-R-L-I-F-E.com. And that is really the company um, that I started back in 2004 when I wanted to help people take charge of their health at work and reclaim their humanity. Um, so that's where it all started and then sort of started moving into more of the speaking and the consulting and the, and the company coaching, uh, which is at the Jeanette.com site. Wonderful. Well, Jeanette, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day to share this with us. We hope you will consider coming back on the show again. And we just want to remind our listeners that mindful matters. And so do you. Have a great week. Thank you for joining us for today's show. For more mindfulness every day, visit everydaymindfulnessshow.com and download the three-day challenge and experience the ABCs of mindfulness. Mm -hmm.